Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. I am your host, Reverend Michael Norton. I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. I'd like to thank our two listeners and a dog for tuning back in. If you're a new listener, welcome. Come on in. This is another fireside chat conversation where a minister of spiritual warfare sits down and discusses things around his mind or common relative events that happen during um, spiritual warfare ministry. So today is no different because my topic on my heart today is spiritual warfare and your interior prayer life, war is identity in Christ. Something that's been waiting in my heart lately with a lot of things that have been going on, and I'm going to go further in de- detail as um, I open up for the show. But first of all, I want to do a little quick show opener. As I record this, today is Monday, October 3rd, and of course tomorrow is Tuesday, October 4th. What's great about that, Mike? Well, I'm glad you asked. That is the Jewish calendar, Day of Atonement. And I have some cool little fun facts about Day of Atonement I'd like to share with you that isn't really commonly shared at the pulpit. Of course, it deals with Second Temple Hebrew demonology regarding the Day of Atonement. Some some stuff interesting here we don't usually hear. So again, for those of you who want to dive into the Hebrew, Yom is Hebrew for day. And Kephar, which we pronounce Kippur, means to cover. To cover over or atone for an error. Hmm, what's that about? We're talking about Day of Atonement and the scapegoat. This term scapegoat comes from this Hebrew um, calendar day and what goes on. What's, what's up with the scapegoat, Mike? Here we go. Let's find out. So if you look at the Hebrew, I'm in Leviticus 16. I have it posted on if you're watching in the video. Leviticus 16, 8 through 10. And I have it under uh, my logo software. So you can see the Hebrew beneath it. So I'm not I'm pulling a fast one over your eyes here. But the Hebrew, when you unpack it, look at the interlinear stuff, it always gives a different representation than we usually get in the NIV and the translations. So I'm going to read the, um, I believe this is the uh, English Standard Version translation of Leviticus 16, 8 through 10, regarding the scapegoat. Um, Starting with verse 8, Them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and Aaron shall cast lots. And over the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot full of the Lord, and use it. So there's something interesting here. We have a name, the scapegoat. We call it the scapegoat. I think in the NIV or something else send out in the desert. But here, it doesn't say scapegoat. We have a goat prepared for Azazel. Who is Azazel? Who is this guy? He, in Second Temple Hebrew, was one of the fallen angels in Genesis 6. Hmm. It's painting back to Genesis 6 again. That's something we need to pay attention to here. We need to pay attention to the supernaturality of the Bible. We have no problem believing that it was Jesus who went before the Israelites in the desert as a column of fire, a column of smoke. We, we, we can do that, but we can't wrap our minds around. There was an angelic fall in Genesis 6, right? That the angels came down and took for themselves women and did false imaging, where they combined their images with our images, and it was a defilement because it had nothing... No approval from God, and it wasn't anything to do with it. Therefore, it produced unclean spirits. So it's right here. So a clean goat will be sacrificed for the sins for the Israelites. And then an atonement goat will be sent out into the darkness, into the desert, the wilderness, where death is, so the demons are. Right? This is Second Temple. And um, early Israelite, you know, Old Testament, Septuagint. You know, I'm not pulling the wool guys here. Um, demonology. So when we read that, that's what scapegoat is. It was the atonement goat that the sins were put on that were sent out to the desert um, to atone for the Israelites' sins, and it went to, it was for Azazel. Interesting stuff. Interesting, interesting stuff here, guys. Anyhow, those are little fun facts here, right? You always get something new every day here. So, um, Let's conclude that and back to our episode. So what I want to talk about today, um, like I said, something's waiting on my heart, is interior prayer life. In this episode, I'm going to address a topic, you know, like I said, it's dear to my heart and weighted these days. And it's the development of your identity in Christ. And we hear this a lot. The reason my heart is weighted on this subject is because 50% of the people in my history 
who mentored me or worked with me or I mentored in battles of dark spiritual warfare have either been pulled from the pulpit or renounced their faith. I'm going to pause right there. They renounced their faith. What happened, Mike? In this powerful ministry, seeing this powerful stuff, how can these people, when they walked in, and lots of people in the, you know, dream of, God, I want to do what you guys do, I want you to do, how did they get to the point where they renounced their faith? After what they've seen, right? This perplexed me too. And, you know, I pondered on it quite a bit. And it's, um, these are people who I mentored in, I mentioned in my books and podcasts and friends. And so wait a minute, so like I want to pull some of my books and re-edit them and, and pull people's names out. But I can't do that because even though they were fallen people and the horrible things are going on with them right now, I'm just going to leave it for where it is. Maybe they'll come back to Christ. I hope to God they do because renouncing the Holy Spirit is a blasphemy. But anyway, these people listened to the voices of darkness and allowed themselves to become trophies on Satan's trophy shelf. And to me, this was just gut-wrenching. These people I worked closely with in the trenches, some who mentored me and some I mentored. And by that, I mean we spent years together. Years. There's some big names out there, and I can't mention them. Not, unfortunately. Um, like I said, they're in the books. They're there. And I'm just, it just hurts me to read it now. And I teach classes, I'm just going to jump over it. I'm going to share it in the class of what happened here with these people. I'm just going to. I guess I have to tell the stories. But for right now, I want to cover something that is beneficial. If you're going to go into spiritual warfare or prophetic ministry or anything that's moving forward in the supernatural, the um, Great Commission, you have to be aware of how much Satan wants your head on a platter. And this is my battle plan for the soul that I'm kind of sharing with you guys. It's not going to be in depth, but it's going to be some information I hope helps you guys to get you on track. Like I said, this came from some very stirred, deep inward thinking and in what happened to these souls and how they, how they themselves were discipled. Because I wasn't around when they were discipled. I was with them when I thought they were mature Christians, and I didn't know the torment that was going on inside these people. All this stuff was happening. start with the basics because there's some terms we throw around in church all the time and I don't think half the congregation knows what they mean or have a, they have an inkling of what it means but they don't understand how to get there or develop it and one of those is developing an identity in Jesus Christ what does it mean to have an identity in Jesus Christ as a counselor I threw this term around quite a bit like what's your identity in Christ who are you a lot of people just didn't know or you know we throw it around from the pulpit you have to have an identity in Christ and there's times where I've pastored counselors and they didn't know what their identity in Christ was. You know, so it's sometimes life gets us in places ahead of people and ahead of our ministry and ahead of who we are in our spiritual development. So I want to hit the brakes and run by some topics with you that you guys need to go off and investigate from here and, and glean from. So how you develop a strong identity in Christ that can stand in a class five demonic hurricane. I'm out here in the South now. I just got through uh, Hurricane Ian, right? So I'm going to throw out that term. Metaphorically, if your soul is standing out there in that Class 5 hurricane with 103 mile hour winds whip, whipping, and you survive it, because that's what's going to happen to you when you step in the ring of deliverance. You're going to be an MMA fighter or a Navy SEAL if you go into some dark stuff, and you have to know how to survive in a Class 5 hurricane on your own. I usually tell people, too, you have to become your own corpsman. If you take a shot from a sniper, you're going to have to pull your own bullet. A lot of times, the pastors just don't know how to help you at this level. So what you have to do to survive is learn to develop your identity in Christ. And we call that an interior prayer life. I mean, that's the old original term. They're around new terms now. We're big on that. But I'm talking about your interior prayer life and what you do in stages to gradually, progressively develop your identity in Christ that can endure a class five hurricane or greater when the satanic storm comes. We dive straight into our Tales of Glory source, St. Teresa of Avila, the interior castle. You've been following before. I know I did some lengthy podcasts on St. Teresa on each mansion and chapter of the mansions of interior castle. They're in the back. You can go check those out. Those are they're at length and they're big extrapolations on her writings. These are classical writings. And she she wrote the topic. I mean, she she was the author on this thing. 
The Inferior Castle is St. Teresa's Holy Spirit-inspired metaphor model, the different stages of soul in prayer developing its identity and deepening relationship with Christ. What does that mean? This lady was a romantic at heart. She was in the 1500s. She was a Spanish Carmelite. And she knew prayer, and she had mystical things and incredible things happening and experiences in prayer. And her confessors, her Catholic confessors, had her document what was going on in her prayer life. And she threw out a beautiful road model or roadmap what the soul goes through as it deepens in prayer. And as you extrapolate these things, and we'll talk about it, these things are very common or commonalities for all of us as our soul grows deeper in prayer and development, development with a um, relationship in Jesus Christ. I mentioned before it's aggravating because the Christian knees thing right now is, I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm in a relationship. And when you bring these people in counseling, they have no clue where they are in the relationship with Jesus. It's just something they want to throw up as a wall or deflector saying, you know, don't come near me and see my problems that are inside me. And that's how I view this. So what I want you to do is not be that person that deflects. I want you to be a person who actually has a deepening relationship or has a clue on um, how to navigate this course to get into a very deep relationship with Jesus. And of course, it's sanctification we're talking about here. It's a lifelong journey. This isn't something that happens over a few months. It's a lifelong journey of constant transformations of the soul as you go through hardships. And we'll discuss those here as St. Teresa presented them. So again, we're talking about the classic text. Um, the interior castle is a crystal castle. Against metaphor. Go, oh, it's crystal. New Age. No, that was her metaphor. There wasn't New Age back then. And she pulls it from John 14.2. All her stuff goes back to Scripture. So this was Holy Spirit inspired. And he talked to her about how the Father in Heaven is making a house of many rooms. So St. Teresa always thought, well, if it can happen in Heaven, it can happen here on Earth as I prepare myself. She called herself an exile, right? So the interior castle is a metaphor of the house being prepared in heaven, but it's also what she used to describe the soul in different stages of prayer. So get that? This is not a New Age crystal thing. This is why. So why is it crystal? By her Holy Spirit-inspired analogy, the center room, also called mansions, she calls these, you know, in Spanish, the, I guess big rooms are called mansions. We're here, we, we talk about houses being mansions. So when you hear her say mansions, she's talking about a big room. So the center room in the center of this, this big castle is where Jesus dwells. The deeper the soul enters into the castle, the brighter the rooms are illuminated, illuminated by Jesus Christ. What does that mean? So the outer rooms are darker. Like when you first um, um, receive Jesus, you know, the, the rooms aren't that bright yet because you're going through a lot of stuff. We'll discuss this. As you move deeper through the castle and the closer you get to him, the brighter the interior of the castle is. That's why she says it's crystal, because the light can permeate, permeate the walls, all right? It's just Jesus emanating. Good stuff here. Again, like I said, she was a romantic at heart. She actually wrote romance novels before she became a nun. So her soul and intimacy, how she is intimate with Jesus, is reflected in this, 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 this classical context she wrote, The Interior Castle. So knowing God comes through developing a life on prayer with Jesus Christ. A soul must constantly work in developing a deeper prayer life, advance in relationship with the indwelling Jesus and Holy Spirit. This is called developing an interior prayer life. So it's the interior prayer life is how we encompass what everything that's going on in our soul and our heart as we grow deeper with Jesus. You know, it's something we talk about. You know, where are you in your, your what's your identity in Christ? That's where you start pulling up your interior prayer life. You know, I'm having these experiences, or I can hear him, or I can't hear him yet. That's where you are on your journey. Just don't push it. These are not checkboxes. This is, um, remember, she's a, a romance novel writer. So these are actually relationships um, stages she's talking about. Where you first meet your date, um, and that's Jesus Christ. That's when you first um, accept him into your heart. She goes through different stages. Then you go through the second and third mansions, and you're developing this um, courtship with him. And like in the fifth mansions, you get this engagement relationship. And then in the seventh mansions, you, you're, you marry, marry him, right? And this is all biblical. It's kind of interesting. And I'm going to go through these stages here of how she does it. And so she literally laid out the roadmap of what a relationship looks like with Jesus Christ 
And the sort of things that happen in the soul and the heart and the interactions between Jesus and you during these different stages of prayer. That's what we're looking at. It's not a new age thing. This is not a checkbox of, oh, I've accomplished this. I'm in the fifth mansions now and I'm in the sixth mansion. That's not what this is about. This is just a roadmap for you going, I think this is where I'm at in my prayer life. You know, I got a lot of work to do because I'm kind of in these mansions. I need to move further. And this is how I do it. That's all she did with this. That's what this book is about. It's, it's nothing her- heresy or something. A lot of people get their halos bent because she was Catholic. Mike, she's Catholic. Why didn't she go on to hell? Um, if you look at how she prayed and how deep she was in prayer, you know, I seriously doubt it. <laughs> she was in love with Jesus Christ, and her mind and heart was so focused on him that crazy things were happening with her. And he really loved her. This was a he picked her on purpose to write this book. This is, I think, this Holy Spirit inspired writing. And the information is both used on both sides of both the Protestant and the Catholic sides of the church now, and it has been for the longest time. I think we kind of squashed it in the 70s where we thought we got too big for our bridges. Like, oh, okay, let's, we're, we're, um, we don't need this stuff anymore because we have great worship and we know how to do deliverance and all this. So we can just push this interior life aside. And then the identity, our identity with Christ and our relationships kind of went to, went to crud. So interior prayer life was a, was a document in the classical text, interior castle written by the Carmelite Lund, St. Teresa of Avila in Spain in the 1500s. Again, St. Teresa used the metaphor of a crystal castle to represent the rooms and mansions you move through and going deeper in your life. She documented two primary stages of interior prayer life, and these are, one, ascetical prayer, and two, mystical prayer. These are very important topics. Let's look at the ascetical stages of interior prayer life. Ascetical prayer is praying and talking to God under your own efforts. You're reaching out to God through prayer. In St. Teresa's Roadmap, ascetical prayer development takes place in the first three mansions or rooms of the interior castle. What's ascetical prayer? Ascetical prayer was you're just sitting there going, oh, Jesus, I um, hope you can hear me. You know, I just got this news back from a doctor, you know, this operation, and please be with me, Jesus, please be with me. I really need you right now. That's ascetical prayer, right? For our Father, who art in heaven, will be your name. That's ascetical prayer. I'm using my voice to pray out loud. That's a form of ascetical prayer because I'm instigating the Like I said, you could be driving home from work and oh, I had a really hard day, and you're not talking, but you're talking to Jesus in your mind. That is called mental prayer. And that is where that's another stage of development and relationship where you're having conversations with Jesus daily in your mind. That's mental prayer, and that's a good place to be. But this is ascetical prayer because it's your soul and your heart instigating a call to Jesus up in heaven, or is indwelling Jesus, right? So we're picking up the phone and we're dialing. That is ascetical prayer, and we're calling out to Jesus under our own efforts. Whether we're going to our prayer room to pray, or whether we're sitting in a car praying, or during a day at work, you know, we remember to practice his presence and talk to Jesus. Okay? That's ascetical prayer. That's the first phase. So interior castle, first mansions, and we're talking about ascetical stages of prayer life. This is the first mansions. The soul is justified. The new believer struggles with their sins and repentance, and the soul struggles with its salvation, and the enemy does everything he can to do to battle the salvation. So this is the new believer. You know, in most churches, we just do the um, new believer prayer. You know, let's pray this out, and you'll be fine. You know, we'll do it at the end of the service. You know, and that's good and all. That doesn't save you. And it's like, what? I think a lot of times churches do this so they can check off their boxes and mark statistics. I had four people saved today because they said the salvation of the sinner's prayer. It's fine and all, but unless you act on that prayer, right? Now we're back to ascetical prayer. You go home, you start talking to Jesus, and you start getting convictions of the Holy Spirit in your soul, like, I shouldn't be watching other women, you know, something like that. Something that's it's, it's in your soul that you brought into it with you. Or, you know, if you came in through drugs or alcohol, you know, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm struggling with this, and I'm getting convictions of the Holy Spirit not to hang out with these people anymore, and I'm repenting, and my heart wants to change. And enemies just going, oh, it's all right, go hang out with them, you know. One beer is not going to hurt you, you know. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a married man, go look at that woman, it's okay. That's how the enemy is coming in your mind and trying to battle you for your salvation while you're still vulnerable in the first mansions because you're a new Christian. You don't have all the tools in place yet. 
It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a struggle because the enemy doesn't want you in that place where you accept Jesus. If you're getting what I'm seeing here, just because you said the salvation prayer doesn't mean you're in the clear yet. You can still be plucked off. That's what St. Teresa talks about in the first mansions. You have to be very careful of what you do and stay on course with Jesus and do what you can with a repentant heart to walk away from your old worldly lifestyle and try to become more like him. Start listening to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. That's what's new here. Let's move on to the second mansions. Interior castle, second mansions. This is sanctification. The soul opens itself up to prayer and discovers indwelling Jesus. The soul struggles to shake its worldly desires and pre-salvation sin. This is called occasional, occasional sin, or she calls it occasions of sin. The soul begins to learn to practice the presence of God. And that's something that St. Teresa of Avila called recollection. So what's going on here? So you're slightly past this, the, the salvation point now. Now you're going through sanctification. So we talked about. That's where the indwelling Holy Spirit is telling you, you can't do this lifestyle anymore. And I know you're struggling. And I know you've done really good for three weeks. But you fell back into, you took a hit of marijuana or you fell back into taking a, a drink. And this is going to happen, but don't let the enemy talk you out of it going, see, you're a sinner. I knew you were going to fall on your face. Jesus is going, no, we've, we've got to get you stronger to get you out of this second, you know, second mansions phase where you're stronger. And when you go back and see your old friends going, ah, I'm strong enough now. One drink's not going to hurt me. And all of a sudden you, you show up drunk again. Right? That was an occasion of sin. And it's going, to, it's going to hurt you to the heart because you're working to become more Christ-like. You have a beginning of a identity in Christ and you know what you did harmed Jesus, and your soul just wants to hide itself from Jesus, feeling shame for what it did. Kind of like back in the garden, right? Adam and Eve hid. That's your soul wants to, wants to hide. What St. Teresa says here is, during this time too, you have to start practicing his presence. That's what we talked about. You're in your car. You're having mental conversations with Jesus. And you're like, oh my God, Jesus, like Saturday night, I so messed up. I messed up. I need your forgiveness. forgiveness. I don't know why I keep going back to this. You know, why do I go good for three to six weeks and all of a sudden I fall back? You know, so Jesus will get you to eight weeks, and he'll get you to maybe 12 weeks, and he'll get you to the point where you're strong enough to not fall back to this, right? It is a battle. It's a struggle. It's a walkout. You have to practice his presence, talk to him, be with him, sit with him, and work out these battles of the soul on your own. It's, it's, it's how he does it. He walks us out. A lot of people want deliverance from this. That's how he delivers you. He walks you out. And you have lots of conversations with him, lots of struggles with him. A lot of raw struggles. There may be some, you know, sailor-worded arguments with him. He can take it. He's big enough. He knows what you're going through. He knows you're hurting. You're a human being. He knows how to come into your humanity and help you. And this is what's happening in the interior castle, second mansions. So what she has here in your prayer life, the soul is now using both vocal and mental prayer. Vocal, like I said, you're praying out loud. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done, right? You're doing the Matthew 6, Lord's Prayer. Or is it also Luke 6? That's out loud. That's vocal prayer. Or you're in church and reciting prayer together with something vocal. And there's mental prayers, our conversations with the indwelling Jesus. Soul begins using contemplation prayer in a stage. What is that? You're beginning to picture Jesus as you talk to him. You begin to picture things going on in the Bible as you read some of the um, information there. And through contemplation, the Holy Spirit may be unpacking the mysteries of the Scripture to you. And just It's very subtle. It happens very gently. Sometimes when you know what's happening, you go, wow, that was kind of impactful um, Scripture reading today. That was pretty cool. And that was because the Holy Spirit was with you unpacking stuff. That's what it looks like. So you're developing, you're focusing on developing a prayer life at this stage now. And you kind of have some sort of prayer life going on. Like maybe every morning you're getting up at you know 6 a.m. First thing you do is you go to the Bible and you probably read like four or five verses and you just um, sit and dwell on it and meditate on it. That's developing a prayer life. Interior castles, third mansions. The soul is advanced in prayer and may fool itself. It is in advanced stages of ascetical prayer. Some souls may get stuck here thinking they're at the top of their prayer life when there aren't. God will use trials to push the soul deeper and teach about humility. And we're back to sanctification. The soul is advancing prayer may fool itself. What does it mean? It means you're, you've got a really strong prayer life going on right now. You may spend an hour reading the Bible and praying God in your, your, your secret place in the morning or in the afternoon or however you do it. And you're going, 
I'm pretty good in my prayer life. And you're kind of looking at it like, I'm ready to help, you know, and helping other new Christians in their prayer life. And things are going good for me. And I'm mentoring them. Things are going pretty good. And you think you got it going on. And you, you think like you're at the top of your game in prayer. And Jesus is going, um, I think so, because you're still in ascetical prayer. You're still reaching out to me under your own effort. What I want to do now is I want to make some corrections in your prayer life. Here comes trials, right? Trials are biblical. Look at Timothy. They come into us, and he reshapes us. Humility. So no longer you're thinking, like, I'm at the top of my game here, and I'm going to teach all these classes in church on Bible, which is fine. You should be doing it. However, it's your attitude. You know, I'm kind of above these new people. I know this stuff, and I can't believe their behaviors and what they bring to church, how they dress. <laughs> he says, St. Teresa Avila says, that's how the, um, the mindset is of the, uh, the third mansions person, right? They're like, how, you know, how can that person dress like that? You know we've all done that, right? Because you're doing that in your mind, looking at people like that. You're probably in the third mansions right now. So she knew how to pick out people. It's just things don't change in church. They, don't, they haven't changed in thousands of years. You know, it, it's funny. Um, she's very open about talking about these things. So now, the third mansions close off the ascetical stages of prayer. Now, as we go deeper, we're developing a relationship. We're developing what's called the mystical stages of interior prayer. So God reaches out to us in prayer without our efforts. This is called mystical or infused prayer. Fourth through seventh mansions are where the soul develops an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, what is going on here? You know, prayer was meant to be bidirectional. Remember, God's identic vision was for us to be family with him, to live with him and be with him. So if we communicate and talk to the spirit realm in prayer to him, he's going to talk back to us. So as we work so hard, you know, and it could be like you could do this. In a, it's like St. Teresa said, it could happen to people in a matter of weeks or it could happen over years or decades, right? It's, just, it's different with each person. Don't be frustrated. It's just about where you're at and pay attention where you're at in your prayer life. So at this point, God reaches out to us in prayer without our efforts. So we may be just walking along and this thought just drops in our mind, right? Or we may just be walking along and feel the presence of God. And we weren't praying, we weren't feeling it, it's like, wow. You know, it's just kind of like, um, I, I make fun of churches. You know, God really showed up in service today, right? And God's omnipresent. Well, it's kind of like God does show up in certain places when we're maybe alone. He wants to be intimate with us. Kind of like he's going for a walk with us, right? He'll, he'll, he'll just pop into us. And it's, it's really beautiful and amazing. It's very subtle. And that's what happens in the mystical stages of prayer. And there's several stages to this. St. Teresa outlines them. Does a beautiful job outlining these are. So interior castle, fourth mansions. The soul has established a deep prayer life for the indwelling Jesus. The soul and Jesus are beginning to know each other. Remember these things Jesus throws around, you know, like um, in Luke 10, 17 through 20, like the 70 disciples return, God, God, even the demons submit to your name. And, you know, Jesus, I saw Satan fall like night, lightning, and, you know, even the, the scorpions and the creepy crawlies submit to your name, which were the demons. He goes, but do not rejoice that they do that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And several times Jesus throws out the other term, too, um, that we know him. And we know that the, the harsh term, too, is where he says in Matthew, like, like Lord, Lord, um, we casted out um, um, demons in your name. We did miracles. And he says, depart from me. I did not know you. What is this knowing? This knowing is a relation. This is the relationship, right? This is the true term for relationship. It's, it has intimacy. If you look back in the Old Testament, when there was intimate relationships between a man and a woman, um, it was called knowing the woman or knowing his wife. You know, Adam knew his wife. You know, they, they see that stuff. A couple others too, right? So it's a deep, intimate thing, but doesn't always relate to sexual intimacy. Intimate, this is a deep intimacy beyond sexuality where two lovers know each other or begin to know each other. Like, you know, they're, they're almost inseparable, right? So that's what it is. So Jesus and his soul begin to know each other. So let's look at John 5, 39 through 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Hmm. So you can read scriptures all you want, pound it in your head, memorize it all you want, but do you know God and does God know you? You know, there's 
there's a point where theology and stuff is fine, but there's an intimacy point you need to fully develop because that's what gets us into heaven. Jesus is the, 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 the way, the truth, and the life, and then the gate is narrow. It's only through him. But also, we are to begin intimacy with him and to know who he is, that he's, he's, he's inseparable. We love him, right? It, he's part of us. That's how we develop our identity in Christ. It's this love relationship. Transforming union. The soul transforms to go deeper in love with the indwelling Jesus. The two begin to know each other intimately. Intimacy means both the soul and Jesus share an emotional, intellectual, and experiential life interactions on a daily basis. The two are inseparable. It's, it's just the, the soul and the, and the indwelling Jesus are just becoming inseparable. They're lovers, right? It's, it's amazing. The transforming union in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We are transforming sanctification. We're transforming the same image. Is that word imagers, right? We've talked about imagers before in other podcasts. And what this is, you know, Genesis 1.26, where let us image man in our image, right? Let us make them in our image. What does that mean? We're imagers. And now, as we have this transforming union, soul and Jesus are being transformed in the same image. That is your identity in Christ. There it is right there. Okay, let's move on to interior castle, fifth mansions. The soul begins to experience the union of God, where the soul unexpectedly feels the presence of Jesus. This is called a prayer of union. Graces and experiences in infused prayer intensify here in the fifth mansions. The graces and experiences in infused prayer intensify here in the fifth mansions. Things are getting more, more intimate. The, 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 the relationship's heating up here. The prayer state is quiet and subtle, but you feel the presence of God. This is what St. Teresa calls the prayer of union. Teresa reveals that it is an advanced soul and prayer and God that will permit harsh trials to prepare for it for the six mansions. Ouch, what she's saying here. Like in Timothy, trials always come, but St. Teresa did a great job of documenting trials. God will allow all sorts of trials in your life to bring you in deeper with him. Remember, the, the, even though the enemy is running amok and he's doing stuff to us, and we're like, God, don't you see what he's doing? He's also using those as trials to bring us closer to him. You could be going through a horrible illness. You know, I'm, I hate to say it. I don't know. I've gone through um, places where I'd have surgery. I've prayed for healings, the healings that happened. The healings came through surgery, and God gave me the strength to go through these surgeries to, to, get, to get mended. And those were maladies and stuff that brought me deeper into Christ, so deep that I was able to face my fears through him and with him, because I hate hospitals. And he's protected me from hospitals so many times. It's been amazing. The, the two times, actually three times I had to go in the hospital and stay there. He got me out. So through maladies and stuff, he could shape us. And through our battles in the mind, we're dealing with suffering and pain. He could shape us to bring us deeper in with him. He could also do it through painful things happening at church. You know, we have a huge disagreement at church. They may force us out of the church we're at. You know, a few of those too. And through those times, he walks us out and shows us the truth and how we should behave during those situations that, you know, it's just we had to do it and things had to go certain ways. It just is what it is. So St. Teresa makes an interesting note about the fifth mansions. These trials may even include demonic oppression. Ministers operating spiritual warfare will encounter trials from God with the demonic to grow the warrior's soul spiritually. And you survive trials where the enemy is allowed to try to break you and make you question your faith. Take warning. That is where I'm at, and that's why this topic was so important to me. Like I said, I had a lot of people fall aside. I couldn't believe it because they saw the miracles I saw. We saw some crazy supernatural stuff. We also saw Jesus crashing in. So I don't understand. I can't fathom a life without Jesus or how these people were snatched up away from Jesus. The only thing I can fathom was the difference between me and them is they didn't have a knowing, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ because he and I are inseparable. We've been through some horrible stuff. And I can't fathom being without him. 
The only thing I figure is when the enemy came to these people, they didn't have that same relationship where they could trust Jesus. You know? Faith comes easy, but trust comes hard, and trust is part of a relationship. You know, in your marriage, you marry, you know, you're in covenant with your wife, you trust her 100%. You know, I don't, there's anything I don't trust about my wife. I trust her 100%, and that's like my relationship with Jesus. Trust him 100%. It's the same thing. You have to be in a relationship. You know each other and what you're going to do and your, your limitations and stuff, but you've built that relationship on trust, and it's solid. It's not coming apart. That's what I'm saying here. If you're going to go to spiritual warfare, I'd spend more time. Forget those books on routing demons. Forget building your library on um, deliverance. You don't need those books because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to do. I don't bring books into mine. I was telling some people, sometimes I don't bring the Bible. i got a Bible on my phone. Or I know the Bible enough where the Holy Spirit will put a verse in my head. I do a deliverance of spiritual warfare because it's he that's entering in the room with me that's going to do the battle. Makes sense. I don't care where I'm going. Um, I had this conversation with an exorcist once. He's going, well, I see you're like a Protestant. I was like, calling I'm probably, I'm Pentecostal. I'm not so much Protestant, but you're not Catholic, you're Protestant or Lutheran or whatever they want to call you. He goes, I don't know how you go into an exorcism without a crucifix. I said, well, why not? You know, it was a catholic question that put me on the spot, but I answered him with a Catholic response. And I go, well, you should go look up one of your own people, St. Teresa of Avila, who taught me this, that wherever I go, Jesus is. And that is more powerful than the crucifix. And he kind of looked at me dumbfounded and kind of smiling. and goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so he didn't argue with the Carmelites. <laughs> oh, good times. Um, but it is what it is, right? It's I don't spend time doing protection prayers and stuff like that. I've said that time and time again. I spend more time preparing information, preparing ministers, and teaching them how you know how do you go deeper with Jesus? How do you do contemplation? How do you unpack the Bible? Uh, and just look for sermons that that build you up. In the morning, I look for worship music that builds me up. Depends on where I'm at in relationship with them. Right now, since I'm learning Hebrew, I've been falling in love with a lot of Hebrew worship. You know, it's our, some of our worship songs are all in Hebrew, and they're just, they're just beautiful in Hebrew. It's amazing. They throw in their shofars, and they throw in some of this, uh, some of the tribal singing stuff, but it's, it's gorgeous, right? But it's me and Jesus right now where we're at. Now, I like listening to that with him in the morning, because that's part of my worship, right? It's things like that. I spend time with Jesus. I wish I'd spend more and more time. I, you know, it's, it's like in a relationship, it's, I wish I had more time to spend with my spouse. I wish there's more time. I need to cut out more time. That's what it is. But it's it's all about him. It's not about deliverance. Not about minister. I'm not an exorcist. I'm not a deliverance minister. Um, I don't have an office. Jesus didn't have an office. Jesus came as a servant, so therefore I can't have an office and be above him, right? I'm just a servant too. I'm a subservient below Jesus. That's what it is. And that's the way to look at it. Look at it from perspective that Jesus is no respecter of men, but we must absolutely love Jesus. That's where I'm at. So you can use demonic activity, especially going deeper warfare, to shape you and sharpen your iron, and it's not a fun trial. Um, some of these things, Jesus knows that, like I said, um, I can't fathom being without him. I've had some attacks that could probably um, spiritually rip me apart, but I'm this hunkered down with Jesus, and we're weathering that, that last five hurricane. You just have to do it. It'll happen. And when you come out stronger, my trust is stronger, and my depth and my my walk is stronger with him to take on bigger battles that's how it happens he'll put you in the ring right it's not because you read these books uh, you can't become a spiritual warfare minister because you read books and know about it. the spirit of water the spirit of perversion the spirit of this spirit of that you know that stuff isn't right there it's it's not there you have to understand what jesus is telling you what's in front of you it comes to relationship with jesus christ so back to this so in these mansions, God enters the inner sanctum of the soul so deeply that when it, it the soul returns to itself, there's no doubt whatsoever that it's shared with God and experience a mutual dwelling. This is a comment on Dennis Billy's Interior Castle, the classic text, the spiritual commentary, page 123. I recommend getting this book and reading it. My book is tattered, it's dog-eared, it's highlighted, it's penned up. It's Every time you read this, you get good stuff about um, deepening your prayer life with St. Teresa. She tells you about how to do it. She so madly loved Jesus, incredible stuff. So again, these experiences with the soul are subtle. It's not like, oh, I'm having an ecstasy and I'm having this experience. You know, there's some of those guys, the, the new mystics out there right now, they're horrible. That's new age. Just stay away from that stuff. 
Um, it's, it's horrible. I've given enough when it comes to spirituality. Um, don't look at that stuff. Don't go that stuff. Go, go straight to the source. It's just you and Jesus. You and Jesus alone, sit alone in it. And whatever he decides to give you as a gift in prayer is called a grace. And you could have some dry prayer where it's quiet. I've gone through a lot of those. There's times where Jesus will just drop something on you. Oh, God, Jesus, that was, that was insane. That's cool. I got it. That's, that's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. He gives these little spiritual gifts, and they're subtle. You know, It's not off the hook like, wow, you know, he really showed up today. You know, it's just like, wow, this is, oh, your presence is so amazing today during worship. Or, you know, it's just other things. Or he just, like I said, he'll, he'll just pop in, and you feel him there. Amazing stuff like that. Subtle. It's not like, oh, this is, you know, this is amazing. This is far out. It's not a super existential experience. It's subtle. And you know it's him. That's how he is. He's, he's order, right? He just comes in very gently, like, here I am. What's going on today? You know, let's watch some TV or whatever. <laughs> he wouldn't say that. But, you know, it's kind of like he just wants to hang out. That's what he does. So I want to speak of something else here. Spiritual betrothal of Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. Parable of the Ten Bridesmaids in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, tells us that we must all be ready with our oil and our lamps for the return of the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Is Jesus. Who are the bridesmaids? Us. Right? And the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil of their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. What happened? The virgins who were prepared with the oil, the oil, right? What is the oil? It's the Holy Spirit. Those who developed their interior prayer life, those who knew God, were let into the, um, the wedding ceremony. And those who weren't were shut out, right? Those were the foolish ones who didn't. Bring the oil for their lamps. That means they didn't develop a prayer life and depart from me. I do not know you. Those who have oil in their lamps are the ones that God knew. Right? The oil is the Holy Spirit. Interesting metaphor there. Well, here we go. So verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us, for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. There it is. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. There's that no again, right? It's all over the place. And there's an intimacy. It's a wedding, right? He's the bridegroom. And there's the, the bridesmaids, or whatever it is, the virgins. I mean, that is us. We're supposed to prepare and know Jesus and know him intimately, like a covenant, like a covenant right? It's a, it's, a, it's a marriage covenant. So interior castle, six mansions. Soul enters in a betrothal, engagement with the indwelling Jesus. This is her metaphor. It's kind of how it looks where she's getting soul is graced with supernatural experiences, such as locutions. Locutions mean speak, hearing the soul, God or spirit speak, right? And visions, imaginative, seeing visions in the mind, and intellectual, where you feel the presence of God that's practicing his presence. And raptures, where God physically or spiritually picks up the soul. This is happening in the sixth mansion. Some supernatural um, stuff is happening here by the graces of God. These topics are significant to souls operating a supernatural ministry. A minister must personal experience be able to discern and give spiritual direction on a soul's experience in these supernatural topics. Was the locution from God, the soul, or demonic spirit? So here I'm talking about a soul that's in the six mansions is now in a position of spiritual direction, helping others. So a lot of times, like I said, I get people coming in from other pastors. This person is demon-possessed, and I have to discern the spirit. You know, what's the locution? What was speaking? What, what were they hearing from? Is this a locution from God? Or was a locution from the soul or demonic spirit? Is it a shattered soul talking like a demon, but it's not a demon? You know, or is it a demonic spirit? Working with prophetic ministers, there is no spiritual direction right now. Prophetic ministries, both deliverance and prophetic, and it's running amok, and it's just crazy right now. Um, there's a lot of people who can't even hear God saying they're prophets, and I've worked with that in counseling so many times. It's irritating, but I worked with them in spiritual direction, get them on track. These people swear they hold 
They have them close their eyes and visualize and start praying to God, and they just couldn't hear simple things from the Holy Spirit. Couldn't. How are these guys hearing from God? They weren't. They are hearing from the soul. That's why we need more spiritual direction. I know a lot of good people on the Elijah list. I know a lot of people who should not be on the Elijah list. That's how Mucket runs. They sound so good. They're CNM prophets. They sound like stuff people want to hear. Oh, they're telling people what they want to hear. That sounds like the Old Testament, right? Remember? Tell the kings what they want to hear. And send down lying spirits. It's, it is what it is, man. We've got to be careful of stuff. We're not policing it in any way. We need to. So Teresa devotes 11 chapters of the six mansions by far the longest and most developed section in the entire treatise. In them, she examines the prayer of spiritual betrothal. So that's where, that's where the virgins are at, right? Mystical state that flows from the prayer of union. So if you're a virgin with your oil lamp and you kind of feel it, you know it, that you're probably in the six mansions. You're having visions. You're um, experiencing different things spiritually. And it's just... You know, these things can happen in different orders. You can go from the second mansion and God could pull you up in the fourth or sixth mansions because that's where you're at with him through his grace. So sometimes these don't happen in order, so it's not a checkbox. But that's what's important here. So this stage of the soul's inner journey has a lot to do with rarefied mystical experiences such as locutions, visions, and raptures. That's what you'll be experiencing in the sixth mansions. Spiritual marriage is a full union of the soul to Jesus Christ in prayer. Is something we can prepare and do while we're still here in the world. This is where the soul and Jesus Christ are inseparable. Some people may have even dreams about a marriage to Jesus. This is not something we, we strive to achieve. It's like any relationship, a courtship that eventually leads to marriage, right? So that now we have relationships so deep. Our soul and identity in Christ and our image are so intermeshed, right? It's like a spiritual marriage that amazing things happen. You're walking in it. And it's just, and you're not putting on a show, you know, you don't have to be talking about it. It's just people can see it and it's, it's coming off like, wow, what's that? What's going with that person? You know, they're very spiritual. They're cool people. It's just where you're at here, right? It's a spiritual marriage. I remember one charismatic church, I remember went off the deep end, had all the women put on dry, um, bride's dresses and come marry Jesus. And that is like a weird, twisted ritual. If you, you know, something like that. That's not what I'm talking about here. They, they went off the deep end with this. Just something where the soul is ready, God will come in and just, you know, you become inseparable. I know my wife and other women I've talked to about this have all have had dreams of a wedding dress and they're marrying Jesus. They've, they've had dreams about it. It's kind of like how God let them know that they were they're married to Jesus. I don't know. I've had dreams too with deep intellectual talks with him and stuff. They're intimate, like oh, spiritual marriage. So it's very subtle how it happens, and he loves you, and he just takes you at your own pace. So this is going to look, why, why am I not married to Jesus yet? Well, in technicality, you are through covenant. What I'm talking about is now that you are, this is a roadmap of, of traveling down, because St. Teresa's already been there. You know, other people, too, have been this, this route. And this is what you see along the way to kind of gauge on where you're at in your prayer life and what you have to do. If you get stuck and you get dry, and you can sometimes too, or prayer just gets dry for months or maybe even a year, you know, God will do some trials or something just to kick you back in gear and get you back going again. So it's it's a journey. It's a walkout with him. It never leaves you. It never leaves you stuck. Just make sure you're always advancing things are going on. So again, we're in interior castle, seventh mansions, where it's spiritual marriage. That's full union with the soul of the indwelling Jesus. There's full union there. Prayer. St. Teresa's advice on interior prayer life is not to think much, but to love much. Remember, I read John where like, you, know, you can read all the scriptures you want and stuff, but that doesn't bring you any closer to me. It can, but if you're just there reading scriptures to go, hey, um, this is how I'm getting to Jesus. I'm going to memorize the Bible, memorize all these verses, but did you leave room to go and talk to him and let him in to be personal with you and be entering into your life? So that's what he's talking about. Yeah, you don't have to be technical. You could read, you know. Scriptures all you want. You don't need to memorize them. Just make sure that you understand them and let the Holy Spirit unpack them for you. That's more important. You know, I have a, a huge reading disorder. I can't retain anything I read, so it doesn't help me much to memorize Scripture. However, I can, through the Holy Spirit, go to Scriptures that He reminds me of and I remember and can quarry upon because of Him being there and helping me. I don't need to memorize Scripture or worry about it because I've been, you know, in deep, deep doo-doo here if I did, but because I can't memorize stuff. It's just, it's just one of the things my brain doesn't do properly. So, 
is what it is. So St. Teresa says love much, right? Just to love Jesus and to, when you read the scripture, let him unpack it for you. And it will, it will stay with you. It will stay with you in ways he unpacks it. And that's how you, it, that's how you, you do it. So closing thoughts. Souls and ministers entering into ministry of spiritual warfare must have a deep and intimate prayer life with the indwelling Jesus. Ministers should be at least in a third mansions with an established prayer. Now, I've seen things too on the streets where I did deliverance ministry on a homeless person. Within five minutes, you know, accepted Jesus, they were kicking a demon out of their friend. Now, that store stuff can happen. There's no, you know, like the 70 disciples, right? It doesn't, there's no um, rules or guidelines like how this should happen. But I'm saying if you're going to this ministry and you're going to a ministry that's specifically focused on going after the enemy and kicking them out, it's going to be an MMA fight. They're going to come back and throw kicks and punches right in your face, too. You're going to have to know how to survive this. And, you know, weapon form may not prosper. Well, yeah, if you're going in the ring unprepared without Jesus in you and without the strength inside you, you're going to get pummeled. So at this stage in the game, you need to have a deep relationship with Jesus, and that's what's important. He's the one going to speak to you, teach you things, and teach you how to fight, and tell you how to fight, not the books. Not the Reading Demons books. In fact, I made points before where those Reading Demon books were very errant in their ways and their demonology, and they're dangerous. Yeah. Oh, spiritual exercise. Before we wrap up, contemplation with Matthew 26, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to do a practical exercise here. What you guys do is just right now, wherever you're at, hopefully you're at home, you're not driving. So if you're not driving, just, you know, you can do this, but if you're driving, just listen in and mildly participate, but focus on your driving. <laughs> so if you're at home or you're just kicking back, you know, laying somewhere in the park, I want to start with the Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I'm God. Just close your eyes and still yourself. Shut down, you know, thoughts a day. You don't need to worry about turning in that report this afternoon at work. You don't have to worry about, you know, things going on in life. You know, I shut the oven off or any other worries. You know, is my bank account going to balance today? We're shutting that all off. Now this focusing, you're having a time. I just recommend that you close your eyes and focus on Jesus' face. How are you focusing? Just tune into him. Be still and know that I'm God. Scripture meditating here. Be still and know that I'm God. Now we're going to dive into this. This Matthew 26, starting verse 36. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, His soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to the disciples, found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, may not enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. If you can just step into the garden, just seventy a minute, and see him, see the anguish on his and the weight on his soul. Watch and pray, and not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. You just imagine a look on Jesus' face when he saw that. You see the weight. His prayer with his father, my father, if this cannot pass, I drink until your will be done. Just look at Jesus' eyes, at the weight, what's on him. He prepares to do his Father's will. Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much. 
each and every one of us. No matter what this is going through us right now, no matter what financial hardship, no matter physical relationship issues we're going on right now, marriage, outside or with other people, you know that you absolutely love us. You just want to sit here and feel your love, how much you love me, and comprehend how you went to the cross for me, that you did your Father's will, that the weight of me was on you and your heart, Gethsemane. You said, I love you for that. Thank you. It's a debt it can't be repaid. I just want to go deeper with you. I want to know you. I want to know what it means that you know me and I know you. Thank you, Jesus. You are. Just make me just a lover and a follower. I don't know what it's like to go into these mansions. Show me how to go deeper in prayer. Take me from this ethical to mystical prayer where you just come and talk to me. Show me what that's like. Give me a taste of that today. I'm ready. Not help me my ways and show me how I can go deeper with you. Thank you so much, Jesus. This prayer, your precious name, Jesus. Come out of this right now. Let's come up. Come up for air. Here we go. So Jesus is bringing them all in for landing. Want more time? Just pause the podcast right here and just stay with him. That too. Just come up for come up for air and come up for landing. Jesus, bring them for landing and open their eyes and bring them back into the room. And as we close down the, this contemplation prayer, prayer exercise today, thank you, Jesus, for coming into our living rooms, coming into our car coming into our park benches where we're at listening to you right now. We thank you in Jesus' name. That's it for what I have for my show today. I know it was lengthy. What I want to do in closing is a few announcements. Like I said, I will be returning to the covert prophetic ministry field, Cindy McGill in 2023, and to travel and get there and stay, pay for flight, and um, pay for food and lodging, that stuff. Just hit financially right now. This time, um, got some people donated, helped me out. They got me going. I got a few hundred dollars towards this, but I probably need about two thousand to get this going. Um, if you're feeling like you're, you want to help? Please send um, a donation to m 16 ministriesgmailcom through PayPal. Receive it. It's a five hundred one c three. It's tax deductible. Like we said, we're trying to get there. Uh, to be there early January, so. Sooner and later, <laughs> we're slowly getting there, and I appreciate pe- prayers. If you just can pray, pray for um, abundance in prayer, and pray for the ministry you're doing. So we're going to a very dark place to evangelize through prophetic ministry. It's very powerful. We've done it before. Some of you guys have seen some of my stuff. I've done, talked about it. So I'd love you for that, and please help out. You can help us through buying books, too. Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, Advanced Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, and Cosmology and Demology in Genesis 1-11. through those are all available at my website, www.afg2sw.com. It's an acronym for a field guide to spiritualwarfare.com, afg2sw.com. If you're listening to this blogspot, it's a field guide to spiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. I list all the video sites, all the podcast sites that this is played on. There's both video and audio to this. Feel free to check it out at the blog site. Fieldguidedspiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. Again, thank you. Um, now go out and be a blessing and make good choices and just go deeper, Jesus. Now, this, this is where it's at. Don't let him put you on his trophy shelf. This is a very dangerous topic. You go into spiritual warfare, we never talk about it. We always talk in churches about how we need to train these warriors. And a lot of times we don't know that some of these people aren't there spiritually to do this. They have some stuff going on they need to clean up first. You have trials you need to go through to heal a dysfunctional family, to heal their alcoholism, to heal their pornography, to heal whatever, before God brings them into this, or their inner healing with wounds they have. And otherwise, the enemy will just pluck them off the shelves. And we don't talk about that in deliverance. You know, it's a good thing to share deliverance. But for bringing deliverance ministers, that's something different. And that's something we need to disciple and raise them up and to see where they're at in life. It's just, you know, like I said, it's been phenomenal. It, it hurts me 
in this past year, I've had over half the ministers I worked with and who mentored me or I mentored pulled off the shelf, and it's been very surreal for me. And that just pushes me back out in training and what we should be doing. And this is it right here. Know God, and he knows you. And the deeper you go with this, this the more you can endure the class five demonic hurricanes. That's all I'm saying. That's all I have for you. God bless you guys. Uh, like I said, we're from the Southern Bunker right now. We're not home yet. Um, I'm running, recording off my little uh, Mac Airbook, which I don't have my um, large computer with the uh, sound studio and stuff here. So uh, at best I can through GarageBand. But I love you guys. You guys are amazing. Until next time, thank you for tuning in, and happy Yom Kippur. God bless. Thank you.